I'm currently taping this introduction in a house with two dogs where it's raining outside, so I cannot let these two dogs out to play. In case that comes across as weird in any way, I apologize in advance. One of the dogs actually just stole a toy from the other dog as I was sitting down to do this introduction. This episode is with Ray Zaganto, a manufacturing unicorn out of the Chicago area. He actually lives in Aurora, which is where the movie Wayne's World was set. We talk about a bunch of different stuff over 45 or so minutes, including pivotal moments in your life, doing volunteer work and traveling abroad when you're younger, working for yourself versus working for others, and why most organizations don't respect the idea of learning, even though it's super important right now. I cannot actually believe I got to episode 20 of this podcast. That's cool. Anyway... Hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. I heard a quote uh, somewhere. I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's certainly not mine. And and it was that your your twenty one year old self does not have the, the, the context, insight, or the right to make the decisions uh, about what you're going to do for the next 30 or 40 years of your career, you know what I mean, which, which is kind of interesting because, like you say, there's, there's a zillion inputs that go into stuff. Coming out of, uh, of school and my post-schooling thing was, you know, I, I got married like right out of school. I, was, I did not have the, uh, I did not have the most I did not put the most forethought uh, into my my charting my career. Uh, my first job was the result of a, a guy I met standing around a keg of beer at a friend's college, college graduation party <laughs> who happened to own a manufacturing company, small manufacturing company. And, and we hit it off. You know, I liked him. He liked me. And he asked, you know, what are you doing when you get out of school? And I'm like, I guess I should get a job. Keep in mind, this was, uh, uh, what, uh, 1984. Uh, so, and, and at that time, my friends in college were uh, looking at, well, they uh, they were looking, you know, taking stuff in, you know, IT, uh, and they all wanted to get jobs in big companies. And that wasn't really, really my thing. I had no frame of reference for that. My dad had a camera shop. Since hmm. I was tw- 12 years old, I was working next to him. So I was kind of used to being in small businesses. So... I gravitated that way. And, uh, you know, I, I got a job and that first job, I think I was, uh, I was clearing two twenty two eighty eight a week, which <laughs> was the most, which was the most money I had seen on a regular basis in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, living at home. And I was like, this is freaking awesome. And I, and I dug it, you know, I, I had a thing for manufacturing cause, uh, I, I you know, I, I kind of grew up, my, my old man used to, if something broke in his, uh, in his shop or whatever, he made it. He made the replacement parts. He had a lathe and a mill and stuff like that. So I was always around really handy people. It didn't necessarily rub off on me, but I, I, I came to appreciate it. So that kind of created my path. Uh, it, you know, said, hey, this manufacturing thing is cool. It looks like it would be interesting. And I started running down that road. Um, I've, I've always been a, a student, so I've, I loved learning, I guess, to kind of fast forward. So I don't have to take you through three decades of you know, what, I, what I've learned, I've always loved learning. Um, and I've, I've used it to my advantage. Primarily the focus 
coming up through the career was what could I do that was going to help me learn some new skills? How could I acquire some new skills that I was interested in or that I needed um, and make more dough? Um, and originally it was more, it was more heavily weighted towards the acquire more skills and the, and the make more dough was, uh, not secondary, but I knew it was related probably by the time I hit my mid to late thirties, the, uh, it, it, the, the charts swapped and -hmm. it became, I knew that finding ways to learn more stuff was there. Then it became a, a chase for dough. Uh, which was rewarding to a point uh, and, until you know I, I reached a point where it was like, okay, I checked all the boxes. I got everything I could possibly want. Why do I feel so freaking miserable? You know what I mean? It was, it, was, it was one of those things where I had, uh, you know, I had climbed the ladder only to find out I was on the wrong fucking wall. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, the, the stars aligned where it was, you know, the, the opportunity would basically presented itself. It's like, you know what, why don't you, why don't you, you know, catch your breath, get out there and, uh, and, and get a good perspective of what the manufacturing world really looks like. I knew operations, I'd run a big international company. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd been able to do all of the, all of the stuff. Uh, acquired the skills that I wanted. I still wasn't done learning, but I knew damn well that just chasing money wasn't the wasn't the end result. So uh, I, I had the opportunity with my wife's blessing to go out on my own and uh, you know try and find my place and my tribe in the manufacturing community. And and what I found was um, that you're when you're stuck within the four walls, or let's put it this way, when you're constrained, you are constrained within the four walls of any organization that is paying your full-time, uh, you know, check and benefits. Mm-hmm. Once you, once you get outside and, and actively look and network and talk to other, to other people, you're no, number one, you're no longer a threat to them because you're not the competition. Uh, you, you now become informed perspective, uh, for them because, uh, you've done some time in the trenches uh, you've taken a look at what else is going on in the world and you can kind of, you know, help benchmark and that goes both ways. So the last couple of years I've spent, uh, building out really a new network, acquiring new knowledge in ways that's kind of like coming out of prison. You've been locked up for 20 <laughs> years and somebody hands you an iPhone and you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But once you figure it out, it's with fresh eyes. It's like, wow, do you realize what's possible? So yeah. Like, so, like, so, oh yeah. So well, like, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was gonna say, I've been mostly freelance for like four or five years. Yeah. And I agree with you in the sense of, at this point, okay, so some months, I'm my fiscal literacy is not super high all the time. So some months like are shitty and I don't make money and I gotta figure that out. But I would say a lot of your career is kind of like a trade-off between stability and flexibility and you get more flexibility being on your own. And like, to your point, you kind of learn how stuff works at a more holistic level. Whereas when you're with one company or one or two companies in the same vertical or space, 
Yep. You just get indoctrinated by the way that they work, right? Well, exactly. I would say, though, what's paradoxical is like sometimes if you've been on your own for a while, yeah. it's hard to go do like if you get a bigger engagement with one company or whatever, it can yeah. be hard to do it because when you go into a place where everybody's been there five years, eight years, even longer, yeah. it's like the way of thinking is so set that yeah. they can't see outside of whatever, however they've been doing stuff for the last 10 years. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, so that's like, I like in the last year or two, I've always felt like I started out of college doing teach for America, which is like America or yeah. you go teach in the inner city. Like I think people's careers would be better. The arcs would be better. People would be more fulfilled by them, even if they're not making as much money. Mm-hmm. If everybody did like one to two years of service somewhere yeah. and then did like worked on their own for like five, 10 years plus. Right. Yeah, and right. obviously those are not, those are not easy things to secure. Right. And if you ever bring up like, uh, if you ever bring up stuff like that on LinkedIn or whatever, people are going to call you a socialist, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I think you need to like, especially if you come from a background where there was some money, maybe yeah. not like super affluence, but there was some money. Yeah. You need to see how people without means go about their life. I think that's important. Yeah. And just being on your own, like I agree is like, it just gives you like such a wider perspective on like how different people do shit. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. when you're working at the same place, you just get indoctrinated by a certain type of thinking, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The, uh, pretty much everything we do is, is a response. You know, we are the sum of our experiences. You know, I mentioned, you know, my father was an entrepreneur. I, I vividly recall, good times and then he struggled a lot and, yep. and that shit shaped a lot of my thinking in terms of you know i was looking at like you know what i'm gonna find a way to go out and get the biggest paycheck i can from somebody else so i don't ever have to you know you know be put in in this position and it's it's one of those you know what, be careful what you ask for because there's there's trade-offs you know, on, on on both sides of things i i love your approach uh, and the idea of um, you know, spending some time in, in service, you know, of others, um, your whole world changes and outlook changes when you have to kill what you eat. Yep. Um, you know, the, the other thing is get some international experience. Yeah. You know, if, if I had to point back to one pivotal thing in my life, uh, well, two aside from meeting my wife, but the, uh, you know, it was in high school, I was encouraged by my parents to go on an international trip over spring break. And they, and they didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they figured out how to send me on the class trip to Germany. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, my world got huge. And, yeah. and, I, and I never wanted to be without that, that international type collection, connection. Yeah, I would say actually what's funny is the inverse of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't go abroad until I was like 28, 29, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in seventh grade, my school had that and... My dad had been like, I think ours was Italy. Mm. And my dad had been like laid off from some gig, like maybe a year and a half before. Yeah. And they didn't send me 
and there were like maybe three out of 27 kids that didn't go and we oh, did no. like we did these like weird like italian projects back in new york where i yeah. grew up right yeah. and i always remember like uh you know obviously this is like freaking 30 years ago or whatever at this point but i always remember like there was almost like a degree of resentment there when i was younger yeah. being like oh man i wanted the experience right yeah. and then yeah. now i've probably been abroad like not a lot maybe like four or five times but i agree with you it's just another way kind of in this bucket of learning right like lifelong learning that you talked about yeah um, i think it just all goes to that same place you know it's yeah. like and that seems to me regardless of like what industry you work in or what you specifically do what right. widgets you produce or whatever i think that that's the thing that's going to start defining careers more and more is like, Hey, is this person curious? Do they want to learn stuff? Right. I, I agree a hundred percent. There's yeah. a, there's a school of thought around that where they call it adaptive capacity. Yep. You know, and, and it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And it's, it's interesting to put some science behind gut feel. It's yeah. Like, the, you know, the, the curious people, uh, <laughs> again, again uh, you know, I'm a, uh, a collector of, uh, of odd trivia, uh, somebody had once said that uh, there's a career calculus that is um, that it, there's basically something around your God-given talent mm. uh, pl uh, times uh, times your uh, desire to learn uh, over time, something like that. And it's like we we can't help what God gave us. Time passes the same for everyone, but it's that multiplier of your your desire and ability to learn and absorb new things is is what can take someone that quote unquote, doesn't have quote unquote formal education and and turn them into you know an Elon Musk or whomever you right. know pick pick the superstar you admire you know right if you look at um okay i would say when you look at guys like that and it's still predominantly men although that narrative is like changing a little right. bit but when you look at dudes like that it's like i think a lot of times we attribute their success to the wrong factors in terms of the narrative like mm -hmm. we always say it's about like oh they work 140 hour weeks like hustle work ethic and that's a part of it no question yeah. but i honestly think it's like i always think this shit about bezos for example it's like mm -hmm. he was making like three hundred four hundred thousand dollars a year in new york financial markets right before he even started that right, right. so right. like his life would have been fine like his <laughs> you know he wouldn't have been at the level he's at globally now but his life would have been fine like three hundred thousand dollars a year is a lot of money for most people right sure it is yeah. so it's just funny it's like we attribute it to all these things like work ethic or like financial understanding market understanding all those things are important yeah. but i honestly think with a lot of them it's like oh they were curious about like how could i do this better or how right. could i solve this problem or like yep. what what do i need to learn to like keep scaling this thing right and i feel yep. like that stuff gets lost in the narrative of some of these like big entrepreneur venture guys right like we don't talk about those factors 
as much as like the hard, like numbers driven, work ethic, yeah. whatever, right? Well, wait, um, well here's here's the thing. The the numbers the numbers are easy. You can you can dissect the, the more we can get it down to ones and zeros, the easier it is for people to understand that oh, it's it's an algorithm, it's it's math, it's not this messy thing. Uh, that, that comes down to what a person's motivation or passion is. I agree with you 100%. I think all this bullshit about, uh, you know, oh, the 140-hour work week or whatever. Have you ever flipped that on its on its head and considered the possibility that maybe they're putting in 140 hours because they're so freaking passionate right. about because what it is they're working on? Because they yeah. really care about it. Yeah, See, exactly. that's, that's the whole – that's a huge point because yeah. it's like – an average like drone type worker, whether it's white collar or blue collar, right? Yeah, yeah. You hear that number and you're like, holy shit, I would never put that much money to that much time towards work, right? right, right. But it's like you probably hate a lot of aspects of your job, right? Because the average person still does. Right. But it's like imagine if you transitioned all the negative energy and the political bullshit and the stuff people don't like dealing with. And yeah. that was transitioned straight into like passion or desire to like learn more, do better. Then like you might not even look at 140 as a, as a, as a hit on it. You know, right. like you might say like, man, I wish I could do 168 and didn't have to sleep at all. Exactly. You know? Yep, right. Exactly. So there's well, like that passion component too. I think is that's a huge point. It's like a lot of these people, this is like it, it's what drives them, right? And right. if you have a shitty cubicle job, you could never see that, and you could never be like, oh man, I I want to put 140 hours a week towards this thing. Because why would you, right? Yep. But if it's something you're uh, passionate about, that's a totally different narrative. Exactly. And, and there's nothing new in this. You know, I'm, I'm a student of, uh, you know, past uh, innovators, you know, that created magnificent things at a time when we had so few tools uh, at our disposal. You look at somebody like Thomas Edison, what he, one of the things he was famous for, you know, number one, he would put together these diverse groups of, uh, of people with uh, varied, uh, varied areas of expertise and combine them in unique ways. And one of the things he would do on a regular basis, uh, he would call these his midnight lunches. He would go home for dinner, uh, you know, with the family. And then about nine, 10 o'clock, he'd go back to the, uh, to the lab where to check on experiments and talk to the workers that was there. And at the time he would, he would have food brought in, they would have dinner. He'd ask everybody how their stuff was going. What were they struggling with? Anybody have any ideas? They'd sing songs, smoke cigars, you know, burn an hour or two, just kind of unwinding, you know, getting it mm -hmm. out there. And then he'd leave and they'd get back to work all refreshed and motivated. You know, something like that way back when, you know, I know you brought up stuff about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, it addressed, hey, the boss was paying attention. Yep. He asked for their input. Peers yep. were encouraged to provide, you know, feedback and stuff like that. So this motivation thing isn't necessarily hard, but it's messy. No, it's know? messy. And I, I was even, yeah. um, I wrote something the other day for somebody about like, kind of, you said it a few minutes ago, but this whole like hard versus soft notion. It's yeah. like yeah. most people, 
that have a business type mind or like want to develop a business concept or whatever. They only care about hard stuff. That's like easy to evaluate, easy to measure, easy to compare A and B. Right. Right. And the soft stuff is like way messier, but also conceptually way more important in terms of not way more important, but as important to more important in terms of like, building out stuff because then you're talking about motivation you're talking about passion you're talking about communication you're talking about having empathy for people right Right. all that stuff matters tremendously to like how we perceive our career and the work we do and all that right exactly Uh, like i I i've told this story to a couple people and i think i've like posted about it but this is like one of the craziest fucking things i've ever seen I was working at a place as a big company and this guy had been there 17 years, which like in in modernity is a huge amount of time. Right. 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 We had been there like 17 years. And I want to say within the span of like two months or like six weeks, Mm -hmm. he got divorced and his mom died. So like probably within the span of six weeks, And I remember, like, the CEO of this joint or, like, you know, the head of this guy's department, he gave him, like, an Amazon card and a Starbucks card. And he thought he was, like, doing Jesus-level work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, man, this dude has given you 17 years of his life. And he went through these two things concurrently, back-to-back, whatever, like, there has to be a degree of like empathy and context and understanding. And that's what we're talking about is the softer stuff, the messier stuff, but that matters just as much to your perception of a company or of your work or of other people than any like financial metric, you know? And And in reality, like most of us, unless you're running something or you come to run a department or you do your own thing, most of us don't even really have regular access to like financial metrics, like harder stuff, right? We just have like work that we do and hopefully we understand how it contributes to the whole. So the messy, like motivational stuff, empathetic stuff, that's like super uh, important. But again, we don't pay as much attention to it or give it as much credence, you know? Right. Right. I agree. And, you know, what's some of the lessons that are still being learned, you know, as technology proliferates, you know, and it's not it's not just social media and the fact that Amazon can get you shit in a day and stuff like that. Right. You know, what's proved time and time again is that the relationship between effort and reward it has decoupled. You know, it's it's nonlinear. You know, it goes back to that 140 hour work week. If you're starting there, I know plenty of people that are running in place. Uh, you know, you had mentioned this in one of your posts there. Um, they're, they're proud of the fact, Oh, look how many hours I'm, boy, am I swamped. It's like, well, doing what? Yeah. Doing you know, if, what? if, if, if it hasn't accomplished anything, you know, you're, you're kind of an idiot, you know, for trying. Right. And, and, th- and then company cultures, former, formal or informal, uh, and, and, and company lore, uh, get, get built around this notion of, um, you know, oh, you know, each stayed, you know, for 48 hours straight to make sure that this got out. Yeah. You know, 
you know, you shouldn't be celebrating firefighting. You know, to me, that's a sign of some huge inefficiency. Yeah. Grateful, grateful that person, you know, took one for the team. But, uh, you know, your next day at work ought to be doing everything you can and never let that happen again. Yeah, 100 percent. It's a, <laughs> all it is is a sign of inefficiency, man. Exactly. Uh, we uh, I had this job, the job I first moved to Texas for probably like five, six years ago. I had this job and a couple of um, people I worked with, like they were based in Seattle. I was based in Texas. Yeah. We used to call it uh, TOTF, turd, yeah. turds over the fence. So <laughs> like you got some middle manager or high middle manager would just like essentially create a problem yeah. so that the ultimate goal was for him to solve it and look good to his bosses, right? That's funny. <laughs> All this crap would come over the fence, and it's always at the 11th hour, so it'd always be like Friday, 3.30 p.m., and you're like, what is this shit that I have to deal with now, right? So, But the thing is, is to your point, and like I've always felt this way, maybe that makes me unique or whatever, but it's all just inefficiency, right? Sure it is. Sure we're, it is. We're praising people for rushing to solve inefficiencies that didn't need to be there in the yeah. first place. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. It's a great like, distraction. You know, it's it's funny you bring that up. I I had one. Uh, I like your turds over the fence. Mine was called a flaming bag of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny because it's all, it's just all inefficiency. That's yeah, all. It is. Right. And then what happens is like, we don't talk about this enough, but to a lot of people, work is predominantly about relevance or like asserting their own relevance, having control over something, right? To some people, it's about passion or innovation or a paycheck or whatever. But to a lot of people, it's about like, oh, I want to be relevant in this area. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is like you get to a certain pay grade and the way companies are structured Again, this is very different if you do your own thing, which yeah. is why it's better. But the way companies are structured, you get to a certain pay grade and like you're not really doing the work anymore. Like the task stuff is that's right. below you, but you're not really deciding the work that's above you. So like you're kind of like in this weird place where you don't know what to do. And most people either like create a bunch of problems, inefficiencies, or they micromanage or whatever, right? Sure they do. Yeah, Yeah. because they don't know what else to do. Because they're beyond one tier, but they're not at the highest tier, right? And that shit is like, that's the most infuriating thing. So um, I moved moved from an apartment to a house maybe like a month ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I got this big-ass dog. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, need to, I need to get him a yard at some right, point, right? Right, right. So, okay, I'm cleaning out my closet at the apartment because I want to cut down on some of the crap I own, right? Mm-hmm. So I found this shirt, and I'll tell you what was on the shirt in a second, but it works up, this a, it works up yeah. to this punchline. Yeah. So I had this middle manager guy at one job, and – whenever you would message him, he sat in a different office than me. Whenever you'd message him or call him, you'd be like, in the course of the conversation, you'd say, well, what are you working on or whatever? 
he'd always say, I am executing on the work that needs to be done. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, didn't mean anything. So, like, three of us went to this trade show one time, yeah. and we made these shirts that said, I'm executing on the work that needs to be done. Wow. So, I found that shirt and I gave it to Goodwill because I was like, I need this out of my life, right? <laughs> it's bad but, karma. Right, but I was like, that that guy, when I think about him, it's always like what we're talking about. It's like just creating inefficiencies, creating busy work. And then that's why people can't conceptualize how much like Elon Musk works, right? Because yeah. they're dealing with this guy's busy work. They're not dealing with something they actually care about. Right? Right, right. And that's like where the dichotomy on career stuff often comes into play, I yeah. would say. Yeah. yeah. I, well, uh, we're, we're, we're at a point of inflection. Again, technology, you know, years ago, you know, when uh, desktop computers, when it went from, hey, you had to run everything on a mainframe, now it's desktop, you know, they were signaling the demise of, uh, of middle managers. And it's uh, it's it started, and I think it's, it's still happening, but I believe it's hap- going to be happening at an accelerating rate. So, you know, you had hit on it earlier. Uh, two things really jumped out at me. Part of it is that relevance, because mm-hmm. the, the middle managers at some point aspired, I would think. They wanted to play a bigger role and have a bigger impact, so, so there they are. The other thing you, you brought up or that, that came to mind, you know, in, in any workforce, there's a bell-shaped curve. You know, at, uh, at the, the one tail, you know, there's the, there's the visionaries that are plotting the course and writing the company song and and all that type of stuff. But in the middle, there's this big group of people that actually have to do some of the work. And and I think one of the, we struggle to find, you know, words to describe, they're, they're, they're the workers, they're the followers, you know, kind of these pejorative terms. But I think, you know, there are people that are motivated by being given direction. Give me a, give me a pile of something you need me to get through by the end of the day. Right. But what m- motivates them is the, is I, I think in part respect, and 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 I and I think we lose sight of that. Yeah. Where where it's like, well, we've got these worker bees that are plowing through stuff. Boy, it's important that we do it. But we, I, I think part of it is because we don't have the vocabulary. You know, it's hard for us to define how to motivate them. And I think that goes to a lot of things in society. You know, you look at a lot of you know, uh, you know, and, and I'm I'm reaching here, but just thinking and talking. You look at you look at some gang issues. You look at disaffected people and stuff like that. You know where do, where and how did a lot of these uh, this, this violence come about? Somebody was disrespected, right? You know, and and it's like man, that's got to play a role in work too. Yeah, and I would say the respect thing is huge. And also, I've read a couple of guys like uh, management philosophy guys where yeah. it's like. Some of it's bullshit for sure, but one yeah. thing I've seen a couple times that I agree with that we don't talk about a lot is the whole notion of the human experience is kind of like rooted in like respect, trust, reciprocity. So like if you are in the supermarket and you nod at somebody, you kind of expect them to nod back, right? Yeah. Yeah. And if they don't, you're going to kind of think they're an asshole. Now, you don't know their whole life. Maybe they're busy, whatever. Yeah, right. But uh, the problem with work for a lot of people is that, like, some of these foundational elements just, like, they're not there or they're not actively there, right? Like, okay, 
I got a divorce, my mom dies, and they're going to give me a Starbucks gift card, right? There's no way to look at that and be like, oh, that's respectful, right? Right, right. Right, and it's like, there's no way to even think that's reciprocity, man. Like, give me some time off or whatever, but, like, that's the thing is, like, so some of these core elements of, like, how we connect as human beings, we kind of, like, strip them from how our careers go, which I think, that's where people get frustrated, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like you, as soon as you uh, you go to work, you pass through the, uh, you know, the, the front door and all of a sudden your humanity card is replaced with the asshole card. I had a coach, years a career coach. Uh, maybe I was on the cutting edge back in the in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, she was the first one to point out to me. And it's like, listen, you can't be two different people. It's like if you're an if you're a nice person at work, why are you not bringing that to work? Why are you not bringing that? If you're a nice person at home, you're not bringing that to uh, to to your your work. And it's like, well, you know, you, you sometimes we just get trained, you know, into this. You know, I have I have degrees, you know, that tell me about Maslow's hierarchy and all. And here's how you lead people. And the reality is, if you don't talk to them and really, and more importantly, listen, you ain't getting shit done. You know, yeah. and if and if it comes down to you pounding on the desk and because you said so, you just failed as a, as any type of manager. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're done. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and there's a dude at a University of Washington who has some stuff where he's always like, you know, ninety. There's a ninety-two percent overlap, and I don't know how it's calculated, but yeah. he's like, there's a ninety-two percent overlap between why personal relationships either like friendships marriages dating whatever why those end and why work relationship end right and it's all about communication trust like listening like you just brought up so i always think it's funny we draw this like thick black line between work stuff and personal stuff but like in terms of how i mean look a person's relationship with their co-workers and people that report to them is different from their relationship with their husband or wife. And I get that, Sure. but it's like the core tenets of like, you need to listen, you need to act on stuff. You need to communicate. Those don't change. Right. 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 But it's weird that we draw this like thick line between, um, we, we just draw this like weird thick line between the two. And it's like, no, they're actually very similar. It's just one feels different because it feels like there's more humanity in it, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, my what I see as the for for me the great opportunity being out on my own uh, now and and able to really focus in where I think the most value can be added in manufacturing is again this this collision of technology and this this old world you know thing although it's incredibly sophisticated these days manufacturing. What to me, what it's finally doing to really get the benefits of the tools that are available today that drive productivity and innovation to really get the benefit of those tools, the the leaders and managers in manufacturing have to actually start engaging with their workforce. They have to manage differently. They have to be listening. You know, it's it's great for the workers uh, that that can participate in this and the managers that can catch the curve. But that's kind of been, the, and, and this probably extends across all businesses, that last bastion where 
you know, it used to be in manufacturing, you could just buy a new machine tool that was faster than the old one and productivity went up. You know, now that's kind of been leveled out. Um, and, and yeah, there's some, some differences, but that next real thing that's going to give you real competitive advantage requires you, you know, collecting data and analyzing it with the people that are on the line, uh, that, that have the domain expertise, uh, to give you feedback about how to improve. And that's scary as hell. You know, what do you mean? I can't, I can't sit in my, sit in my office and point to a dashboard and say, make this better. Right. I, mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I have to actually, I have to actually talk to them. Holy right. shit! I have to go actually talk to these people. Yeah. 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 Um, so, right. Let me ask you about this, and yeah. then I'll let you go in a second. Sure. But yeah, no um, I, I've read a couple articles about this, and I've seen people shit all over the idea, and then I've seen a couple people embrace it. Yeah. So let's say when we start automating more like long haul truck driving or whatever, which yeah. is going to happen. Yep. So we take, I don't know, I think it's 3.1 million people off the rolls potentially in 20, 25 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I've heard, and again, I've heard different people say it could work. Different people shit all over it. One thing I've heard is, take these guys who are truck drivers and maybe they only have a high school education, whatever, put them in a manufacturing context and not like pipe fitting or whatever. Right. Right. Instead make them kind of like the middle level between the people that run the data and the executives. So they're kind of like, data translators almost mm-hmm. they're telling the high level people like hey this is what this shit means this is what you need to do yeah. and they're kind of like a bridge between um the guys that run the plant and the guys that like are collecting and analyzing the data now i don't know if that could 100 percent work but i do think that I've done a couple manufacturing things and it's like this in white collar too. There's always a huge gap between like how the people at the top think about stuff and how data people think about stuff and how regular workers think about stuff. Right. So if we are going to automate more and more jobs, right. Yeah. Um, I think like finding a way to put people who lose their jobs into these like translator roles or vocabulary roles could be beneficial. I don't I, know if training wise it's all there, but you know. Well, you, you, you bring up a couple a couple of key points. Um, one is it is finally starting to have conversations about workforce impacts that are coming down the road, because you know in the in the past, when it, when there was a, a disruption in an industry, when it went from, when we went from agriculture to industrial, it happened at a pace where industrial was able to absorb, you know, the the people that came out of manufacturing. So it was people just went from one job to the next. What's what's happened, and I think it's um, uh, was it the, the uh, McKinsey Global Institute had said the rate of change impacting society today is happening at 300 times the impact and 10 times the speed. So how that's being felt by the average human, it's 3000 times more intense than what was seen at the, at the time of the industrial revolution. So 
finally getting a handle that there's going to be a disruption in this case in tech, in uh, in trucking is important. Training is a, is a key part of that equation to be looking at. The uh, the part of training that we need to look at is our our vision of how we did training in the past, whether it's trade schools, you know, you start now, we give you a file and a piece of steel, and in four years, we acknowledge that you have some basic skills. Uh, Four-year educations, you know, you have to get a college degree. A lot of that perspective is, frankly, prehistoric, you know, because now we have online, we have YouTube, we have so many ways that people can acquire skills hands-on capabilities where they can take these these courses and drop into organizations and begin having an impact much sooner uh, needs to be taken into consideration. In your example with the, with the truckers, what that what that's doing is freeing up people that have probably the most intimate knowledge of what it's like to move product, whether it's that last mile or long haul. And, and now what that automation is doing, if you look at it in the right way, is taking that domain expertise and allowing you to put that back into the business, whether that's back into the big transportation companies and, and let them be those go-betweens between the data and the managers from somebody that's actually been there that can now interpret that information or take those people and put them in the logistic departments you know, of manufacture of you name the company, but but again, it's that it's that training them and saying, you know what, here's where you could go and add huge value. So uh, I, I'm I'm in agreement, and I think I think that model holds and is uh, is worthy of further discussion and exploration across any business that is facing you know a disruption due to automation. Embrace right. embrace both. Believe me, I, I get that there's a handful of, you know, truckers that wanted that enjoy being kings of the road. But at the end of the day, they all want to provide for their families, yeah. be respected, have relevance. And how can we give them a path to do that? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's incumbent on the, the people that are, are creating the change and the companies that are embracing it. That's part of being good corporate citizens, right? Yep. hundred percent. And I've heard like. I did some research on this for somebody maybe like three weeks ago. It's like government retraining programs are awful. Like they have a 15% or less success rate, right? Yep. Some corporate ones are not bad. Um, Amazon just pledged like 700 million over the next three to five years, which is, that's actually like, it's a small fraction of their, revenue but if you take the most motivated people within their fulfillment centers and you're like hey look man in 10 years the goal here is for this to be mostly robots filling boxes right right Right. we want to give you an opportunity to redefine your skill set so you can either manage an automated uh, workforce or you can do something on the back end like infrastructure side of it. Okay, so 700 million and it's corporate led, it's not going to be a 100% success rate, but it's going to be more successful than a government retraining, you know? Oh, oh exactly. Right. Well, well, number one, you know, they're, they're motivated, you know, because Amazon's looking to, they, 
it's hard enough for them to get uh, to get a workforce in the first place. Once they've got them, they want to keep them. You know, there's there's no better way than to than to educate them. You know, again, it's one of those ways uh, of showing uh, to an employee through your actions, we respect you. You know, we would like to help you on your on your career journey. You know, and those things. I I agree 100. percent I think once businesses realized they needed to get back in the training and education business, uh, I I think that's huge because. Um, you know, gosh, who was it? Clayton Christensen. Uh, you, you look at, uh, he did some analysis on the future of uh, four-year colleges and education, educational institutions. And he said his guesstimate was in about 10 years, half of them are going to cease to exist. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just not there. Why? It's not because people no longer need to learn. It's because learning is happening differently. Yep. hundred you know? percent. And the thing that, companies traditionally have been behind on with the learning is yeah. that if they do care about it, it's yeah. usually uh, stashed within HR and right. anything that's within HR top people don't care about HR yeah. is like a, uh, it's like a seen, but not heard department. Yeah. Necessary evil. Right. Necessary evil. So yeah, I remember one time I was working a summer job at McKesson, which is like a huge healthcare company. And the first week I worked there, there was like a staff happy hour on Thursday. And I went to it. And I was actually really interested in doing like learning and development stuff. I thought it would be real cool. And I remember being at this happy hour and I met a couple people that do learning and development. Yeah. And I was probably 31 at the time. They were all in their 50s. Yeah. And they were like, don't go into L&D because if there's ever a revenue reversal, you're going to be the first person fired, right? Crazy? That's crazy. So I got like, I got so, I was like all scared, like, oh, I can't do this, right? Yeah. But because it doesn't have as much stability. Then I'm thinking to myself, like, you brought this up a couple of times while we've been talking. Just like look at the overall climate that we live in and it's amazing how like the first people on a chopping block would be uh people that deal with learning right like this should be like some of the most revered employees internally in an organization right now but it isn't it isn't yet that way yeah i do agree with you that companies are starting to realize they need to be back in the training and learning business right Um, which they had kind of gotten away from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still think we're not there yet. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know? I, agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, we keep, we keep talking about it and uh, trying to bring people to, uh, to our tribe and let them know what's possible and hopefully get some projects and help them out and get paid for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.